1: So, we're in a worship series called Who's On First for this season of Eastertide, and we're looking uh, one by one each Sunday at one of the seven identity statements by Jesus in John's gospel I am the way, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread, etc. And then we are doing the tricky work of correlating those seven identity statements of Jesus to seven practices of Galileo Church's co-conspiracy. It's been fun to try. Um, The co-conspiracy, just in case you haven't remembered lately, is how we commit to this church for just one year at a time. It's like being a member of Galileo Church, but it's better than that, because it truly is every person's opportunity and responsibility to consider every single year, whether the coming year is one in which you can prioritize and contribute to the mission of Galileo Church. And you can read more about the co-conspiracy on our website, GalileoChurch.org. And just to help you with your calendaring, the invitation for that will be open to all in worship on Pentecost, which this year is Sunday, May 23rd. We have talked about several of those practices of the co-conspiracy already over the last several Sundays. The contemplation of your baptism, the sharing of material resources, the gracious receipt of care, discernment of the church's next steps together, and tonight we're introducing a fifth one, presence, presence, physical and emotional at gatherings of the church. And I'll be reading from John chapter 11. It's a little bit long, but it's a rollicking story, so hang in there. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was that one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. It's her brother, Lazarus, who was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's uh, go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the religious leaders were just now trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, huh? Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day don't stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. And after saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. The disciples said to him, "Uh, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to be fine. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come out to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, "'Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died.'" But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher's here calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, He was greatly disturbed in spirit, deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, Oh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I mean, I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out! The dead man Came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hey, Remy. Hey, Katie. I'm really glad to spend this time with you, but I just want to acknowledge for everybody's sake that this is going to be awkward, (laughs) a little bit, (laughs) because what we're attempting to do here is recreate a conversation in public that you and I and our whole church leadership have been having together for a long time. And so I just want to say thank you to you for being willing to be awkward with me, so that we can engage everybody who's listening in the thinking and the praying and the conversating that we've been doing. Um, So there's so much in this story from John 11 Mm -hmm. that we could talk about, and someday we will. Mm -hmm. Uh, For sure, this story is told in support of Jesus' assertion that as the embodied logos of God, as the enfleshed logic of God, the walking around way things are meant to work, he embodies the defeat of death. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. And if he is, he is because resurrection and life is what God wants for the world and everybody in it. Yep. Um, so Lazarus is not only a friend of Jesus, he is also kind of a test case of Jesus' mm-hmm. claim that he can manifest what God wants with respect to death and death's competition with God for the ownership of us and all living things. So sometime we're going to talk about all of that uh-huh. <laughs> in John 11. But for tonight, for tonight we're hunkering down with something that both of Lazarus's sisters say to Jesus in the wake of their brother's death. Martha says it when she goes out to meet him, he's coming several days too late to work his healing magic. And then Mary says it a little while later. He's no nearer the house, but she's been summoned out to meet Jesus there as well. And listen, these sisters are sad and they are mad. Mm-hmm. Because they have seen what Jesus can do for sick people and for their families. That healing is always, always about putting families back together and so they say Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died they say it in identical words and you get the feeling that this is something they have been talking about together through their tears over the last several days Mm -hmm. so I think on one level church it is appropriate for us to see Martha and Mary in the anger stage of their grief they're looking for someone to blame for their pain and I find it generative To hear them aiming that blame directly at Jesus, because, you know, it reassures us that God is ready to receive our complaints. God is not afraid of our anger. This is a way we can talk to the Lord of the universe. Mm -hmm. But on a whole nother level, I think, like theologically or Christologically for John's gospel, the sister's accusation here is also about Jesus and his embodiment, Mm -hmm. I mean, they know what we know, right? Which is that Jesus carries the reign of God around with him in and around his body. We have called it Jesus in a hamster ball. We have called it Jesus in an ax body spray cloud of God getting everything God wants. I mean, this is the pattern, like wherever he goes, If you just get proximate to him, if you get close enough to his physical personhood, God's reign, it happens for you. So the sisters, Martha and Mary, they say to him, if you had gotten your reign of God ass over here sooner, my brother would not be dead now. So this story then becomes a support not only of the Christian doctrine of resurrection, but the Christian doctrine of the incarnation. Mm -hmm. You know, carne, like meat, (laughs) like Jesus as God in the flesh, spirit with meat on it. The, The sisters do not say... If you had thought good thoughts, my Mm -hmm. brother would not have died. If you had prayed real hard, my brother would not have died. If you had sent good mojo across all the miles, my brother would not have died. They say if you had been here. Mm -hmm. And so we're reminded that Jesus had a body and that his body was not incidental to his way of being with us. His own physicality was essential to who he was as essential to his being God with us as our own physicality is essential to our life together. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't it? Isn't physicality essential to our life together? We've literally got a practice for the co-conspiracy that calls us to presence, comma, physical and emotional, comma, at gatherings of the church. Now. When we first wrote that, what we thought we were doing was pushing back against the temptation to physical attendance uh, at church that would be detached from, like, mm-hmm. emotional engagement. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, how we used to go to church. Right. But really just for the good guy points. Mm-hmm. Not, not really bringing our whole selves into the experience. I mean, sometimes our whole selves just weren't welcome. But we wanted to say something different at Galileo, physical and emotional presence at gatherings of the church. hmm And we wanted to make sure that Galileo people knew that physical presence is a high good. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh gosh, in those early years when we were a really, really tiny church and our existence was not guaranteed, if a handful of people didn't show up for worship or just flaked out on a G group, it was super demoralizing. It was like seriously dangerous to our Mm -hmm. community existence. And I still say that our existence is resistance. Mm -hmm. Like... Just our church being here after all these years is doing justice for LGBTQ people and doing kindness around mental health and neurodiversity and all the rest. I maintain that none of that stuff works if people don't get their asses here. <laughs> yeah. In sum, the doctrine of incarnation is about Jesus' body in the first place. But it is now also about the church's body, which is made up of the bodies of the church's people. Mm-hmm. Thus, this practice of a co-conspiracy, presence, physical and emotional, at gatherings of the church. Right?
2: Yeah. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're good questions, Katie. Um, and yeah, it's true. Jesus' relationship with that whole family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, is deeply embodied. Jesus Mm. eats and drinks with them at their house. Mary has sat at Jesus' feet to learn, with Martha in the kitchen cleaning up. Uh, John reminded us tonight that uh, Mary's the one who washed Jesus' feet with her Mm. hair. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's so, so physical and intimate. Mm -hmm. Jesus is all up in their business, in their house, totally embodied with them. And it's painful when they are apart, Mm. with devastating and even fatal consequences. Mm. We know about that kind of devastation from when COVID-19 ripped apart those of us Mm. in Fort Worth who had been embodied. Uh, It it essentially destroyed our embodied life together. Mm. But Jesus has other relationships, though, that are less embodied. Mm. Like I'm thinking about a story told in both Luke 7 and Matthew 10 that bears witness to a Roman centurion who asks Jesus to heal a beloved of his who is lying at home. Jesus and the centurion are distant from each other in a lot of ways, uh, different races and different Mm -hmm. classes. Their Mm -hmm. ways of living and their purposes in life could not be more different. Mm. Yet Jesus says he will come to the centurion's home to heal the beloved because that's usually how Jesus does. He's willing to do whatever it takes to bring his good news to the world God still loves, Mm. even to the Roman world. Mm. But In both tellings, the centurion tells Jesus that he does not need to be physically present. Uh, The centurion also has authority and can command things to happen even from a geographic distance, and he believes Jesus can do the same and challenges Jesus to do the same. And Jesus congratulates him on his great faith, with which Jesus has not found the like of in all of Israel. The beloved is healed within the hour without Jesus stepping foot in the house. I'm saying that Jesus knows of more than one way to bring the reign of God. Mm -hmm. He can do it in an intimately embodied way, and he feels pain when he's separated from those IRL beloveds. And he can do it from a distance, so that his power is incarnate in the bodies that need it. Of course, I know story of the centurion is not found in John's gospel, but John too knows that Jesus can be with us even when he's not physically present. In chapter 20, the resurrected Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. After this very embodied and very non-COVID conscious interaction, <laughs> he ascends into heaven, totally disembodied from anyone on earth. Yeah. Yet his windy Holy Spirit blows among us, and through it we embody Jesus for and with each other. Even when we're quarantined all alone, Jesus' spirit is with us in our very breath. John's gospel involves a lot of heady, philosophical, Holy Spirit disembodied stuff. It's also the only gospel that tells of Jesus in a loincloth washing his disciples' feet, and our story tonight, where Jesus' embodiment is the difference between life and death,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the very embodied post-resurrection stories, where Jesus breathes on his disciples and exposes his wounds for Thomas's touch, mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that Jesus' intimate embodiment is what makes possible his continued presence after disembodiment. His stinky breath is what gave his friends and us the Holy Spirit. <laughs> His body has not been on this earth for 2,000 years, but we can know him today because he was here and he so thoroughly gave his whole body to us.
1: Hmm, hmm. Okay, okay, good points. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, yes, right. So, as with so many things, the Bible says more than one thing mm-hmm. about some things, and in this case about Jesus' incarnation, and thus maybe also more than one thing about our own physical presence with each other. I think so. This is how this recognition came to me. Back in 2019, uh, way back in January of that year, when people on the missional logistics team were again asking why we were not putting our worship services online. I mean, all the cool churches were doing it. And I was just still holding very tightly to this idea that church, the way we do it here, Mm -hmm. requires physical presence. You don't watch worship, I said. You worship alongside the community of the faithful. And then on one tearful afternoon at our leadership retreat, I lost that argument decisively. Mm -hmm. The tears came not because anybody was unkind but because the Holy Spirit had something to say that I had not heard before, Mm -hmm. but other leaders in our church had. And sometimes the Holy Spirit makes me cry because she is so beautiful and so smart. Mm -hmm. She said, using the mouths of Galileo people, there are sad souls out there who don't yet know that you can be queer and Christian. Mm -hmm. There are scared souls out there who think that God cannot love them as they are. And lots and lots and lots of those people are never going to be able to come to the big red barn or to any other church that tells the truth about that. And they said, I remember myself at 15, 16 years old, Googling around in the middle of the night, wishing for someone or something to bring peace to my own sad, scared spirit. Yeah. And I so wish that I could have found Galileo Church's worship online. I would have received it as the gospel Mm -hmm. something something holy spirit we spent most of that year figuring out how to do it how to turn ourselves inside out how to make our life together and our missional priorities available to people who could not physically get here Mm -hmm. and we launched the inside out worship live stream on the first sunday of advent four sundays before christmas in 2019 think about it (laughs) Just when we were getting the hang of it, bam, pandemic, it was just over three months later that our whole church went home (laughs) (laughs) with the inside out live stream, literally our only remaining piece of infrastructure for doing life together. That was it. And suddenly we, all of us, were experiencing what it is like to be and do church together when we cannot be embodied in the same space, eating the same food, breathing the same air. Now look, I'm the last person you're going to hear trying to bright side this pandemic. It has killed nearly 600,000 of our U.S. American neighbors. It is still ravaging the planet with sickness and death and trauma and grief. We know it all too well. And we feel the hatred of that virus in our bones. Mm -hmm. Amen? Because Jesus is life, Jesus is resurrection, and death is not meant to have this kind of hold on us. But here is the truth. Those of us who are lucky enough in non-pandemic times to enjoy Galileo Church incarnate, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: embodied Mm -hmm. in the flesh, have learned invaluable lessons about doing church this other way. Mm -hmm. First, we have learned how fucking hard it is Yeah, that worshiping online is hard without the company and the voices of the faithful to kind of carry you along. Mm -hmm. And we have learned that doing relationship online is hard because screens work against vulnerability and transparency and honesty and companionship. Mm -hmm. And second, and isn't this delicious, we have learned how possible it is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how possible it is that our heart's can draw near to the heart of God and to each other, even when we cannot be physically together. It turns out that the spirit of the living Christ is not limited by physical proximity or the lack thereof. Nope. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? <laughs> so Remy. As we continue with this missional priority that we added in 2019 with the addition of the Inside Out ministry, this missional priority to do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves, mostly through this thing that we call now Galileo Inside Out, Mm -hmm. I just want to ask you, what do you as our Inside Out minister see for its future and for our church's future and for the future of people who are not here yet? and people who will never be here, but who are present with us nonetheless.
2: Well, Katie, these are visions that keep me up at night, visions I dream about, and I'm so (laughs) glad you asked and glad I get to share (laughs) these visions with the church. I see a family outside of Texas committed to gathering Mm -hmm. for Inside Out most every Sunday, serving each other communion and discussing the service over dinner Some of the family members are co-conspirators some join an online g group Hmm. they're active in our facebook and galileo fort worth people know them Hmm. and converse with them Hmm. i see a teenager scrolling the interwebs from their bedroom on a sunday afternoon Mm -hmm. wondering is there a god and could that god possibly care about them Mm. they're just so queer and they just can't help it and they're just sort of hoping god won't even notice their existence. That would be so much better than God hating them or regretting making them. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. They find one of our TikToks and think, huh, that can't be real. (laughs) It's 5.15 p.m. So they click over to our live stream and there is Steph singing her heart out about Uh God's love and our commitment to following Christ. And there is you preaching earnestly about the reign of God where this teenager is not only welcome, but wanted, needed. Yeah. Yeah. There are queer congregants reading and praying and serving communion, Mm. not just receiving communion, Katie, they're serving communion. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Maybe this teenager comes back next week and maybe they don't, but now they have room in their imagination for a God who made them on purpose, who knows them Mm. and who loves them. Mm. There's space at the table and room in the church for them. They're not gonna unknow that. Yeah. I see someone who lives far away from us who hasn't been churched in 30 years because the church doesn't seem to want them. Mm. They come across Galileo and they think, well, isn't that interesting? (laughs) They join us every week for a while and chat with us online and maybe even join a G group, but they're hungry for a little bit more. Mm. They start telling their friends about this church they found and The group starts thinking, wouldn't it be better if we all joined together on Sundays? We could sing together and have communion. We'd even form a G group just among ourselves. They do it, and it's beautiful. Yeah, It's church.
1: Yeah, I see that.
2: I see someone who grew up in a conserving church that didn't know how to love them. Hmm. And so they left because they know what's good for them. And they haven't been to church since. Mm. But they miss the community and the support. They wish their kids had a place to go for Mm -hmm. community, to find friends. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem possible, so they don't really think about it that much. They come across Galileo Church Online, and they're amazed that church can look like this. (laughs) They start joining us maybe a couple Sundays a month, and it makes them happy, but also sad. They miss the pews and the congregational (laughs) singing. Yeah. So one day, they kind of get curious and start Googling around, and they discover a church. No, two, five. What? Five open and affirming churches <laughs> near them. Yeah. So they find a home in one of those churches, and their kids make friends, and they start believing in church and in God more than they ever thought possible. Huh. And we helped them do that. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah, yeah. I can see that. So, Katie, we've been trying to figure out what to do about this habit of the co-conspiracy, which has up to now been presence, physical and emotional at gatherings of the church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're realizing that sometimes the physicality of presence needs to be negotiable. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Actually, if we think about it, we already knew the emotional part was sometimes renegotiated. You know, sometimes some of us walk in that door for church on a Sunday, and what we really need is to write a paper or take a nap or read a book during church while our asses are in here in the barn. Yeah, that's true. We're physically present, and there's surely some emotional aspect to our presence, but it's Mm -hmm, mm compromised. Now we're thinking about the physicality being renegotiated, too, and not just for people who live far away. Some of our co-conspirators and friends have mobility issues or unreliable transportation or just the occasional busyness that Mm -hmm. prevents them from putting their shoes on and driving down here on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. They might renegotiate that by watching online from home, maybe in their living room with undivided attention, maybe in their kitchen while making dinner Mm -hmm. or listening while they drive. There are all kinds of renegotiations for physical and emotional presence. Mm -hmm. So... I'm trying to think about what all of these have in common, all these ways of being, ways of being present. I'm thinking that everyone I've described here is being present the best they can. Yeah, yeah. It looks different for different people and at different times, but I'm thinking a habit of the co-conspiracy is presence the best you can at gatherings of the church. Wait, say that again. Presence the best you can at gatherings of the church. Presence the best you can at gatherings of the church.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: There's a lot of grace in that church. We're spiritual refugees, and there are all kinds of reasons for our best to look different from one another. Hmm. But if we're all doing our best, we have some sameness and equality with each other in that. With some generosity of interpretation, we can assume of our beloveds that we're all just doing our best Hmm. in our presence, in our personal interactions, and in all the habits of the co-conspiracy. That's all Jesus asks of us, I think. So let's just do our best. Yeah. May God add a blessing to all of our efforts. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Well done. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal, or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.